you know, you never know. Like the Skeena man, I mean, dude, you could be on a run and you'd be swinging through, you know, get three or four sake kind of thing, you know, all of a sudden hit a little eight or 10 pound steelhead, then all of a sudden the next cast or two casts later kind of thing, you're into a 40 or 50 pound king. I mean, it is insane, you know. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires, bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Today we've got on the show Dakota Mercer. Now Dakota is a head guide at West Coast Fishing Adventures out of Terrace, British Columbia. Dakota, thanks thanks a lot for coming on today. Yeah, man. Perfect. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. So um, we're going to get into West Coast Fishing Adventures, your fly fishing experience, kind of how you got into it and your roots. I always like to kind of start the show kind of going back in time a little bit. How... How did you come to discover fly fishing? Uh, to be honest with you, I actually, I learned it from my, from my dad when I was about three or four years old. Actually, my dad had been a guide back in Newfoundland prior to and had his own, I don't know if you'd call it a professional quality TV show, but it was uh, something that him and his buddies basically did on their own. They made like back in the day, I guess they're all VHS tapes. And uh, so dad actually taught me up in uh, uh, northeastern BC in a little town I was born in Fort Nelson. And he actually took me out and we started fly fishing for grayling and bull trout. I was going to say, that sounds like bull trout country up there for sure. Oh, man, it's amazing. You know, it, I was talking to another guy uh, last week, and I was saying it's amazing how many requests I get about bull trout in British Columbia. It seems to be kind of the, the hot fish right now. Yeah, it's it's funny, too, because back in like the early 60s to almost, I'd say, middle of the 90s or might have even been close to 2000 actually you know a lot of people actually hated bull trout what they would do with them as they were considered a, a bank fish right people would catch them and, and they'd you know throw them on the banks and get rid of them so that's you know one of the main reasons why all the bull trout here in bc are actually protected or on the endangered list right it's because back in the day when guys would be out fly fishing for rainbows or grayling or whitefish or cutthroats they were considered a, a crap fish for lack of a better term so to be honest that's why everyone mostly called them and it's amazing to see them rebound now. You know, in some rivers, they got a healthy population. Other rivers, they don't have as healthy a population, but they just grow so enormous. And, I mean, they what cooler than to sight fish a fish that'll take, a, a you know, a foot-long fly in two feet of water and you get to watch everything. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a bit of an uh, adrenaline rush for sure. So is that a species, Dakota, that you target quite often? Um, For myself, when I'm fishing for myself, I mean, guiding terrace area, like, we don't, there's, don't get me wrong, there's bull trout everywhere, they're tiny, and they're, I mean, no one comes to the land of, you know, steelhead to chase trout, typically. Uh, for myself, though, like, I grew up in Fort St. John, British Columbia, and I mean, I spent a lot of time there, I mean, me, me and my uh, girlfriend currently living there now until I go back to guide, but uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time fishing for them. I mean, I usually try to get in at least 40 or 50 days for bull trout every year. So, we better, we better jump into the mighty Skeena here, because <laughs> that's, that's kind of your, that's your, that's your kitchen right there. Yeah, that's the pride and joy. 
So Dakota's in, in Terrace, so you got the Skeena, you got the Nass, you got the Kitimat, and I mean, I can't imagine all the little tributaries that I've probably never heard of that hold some beautiful fish. Maybe tell the folks a little bit about the area that you're guiding in. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, yeah, like like you said, I mean, we operate on the Kitimat River, the Skeena system, a bunch of trips to the, to the Skeena, to the Nass. Um, it's amazing. I mean, we're super, super diverse. I don't quote me on this, but I believe at the moment, I think we have 35 different streams to guide on. Um, and you know, we got some very, very remote stuff where we do like, you know, a trip across, across the ocean into the middle, you know, a big wildlife sanctuary in the middle of nowhere where, I mean, you know, the odds of seeing anyone is at the odd helicopter flying over every once in a while. And it's not even with guests typically, uh, that helicopters are out doing surveys on, you know, wildlife monitoring and stuff. Right. So it's pretty mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, we get all, you know, we can catch steelhead, you know, uh, 365 calendar days a year. Uh, we typically guide, you know, March and April, a little bit into May, depending on, you know, when fresh it happens and stuff. Um, and then we got June, July, August, September, October. And I mean, we could potentially, of course, guide November, but that's when we get our first cold snap. And, you know, a lot of guys don't want to go out and have their guides all icing up right or on their rods or, or trying to, you know, t- tinker with the cold in the river. So. If you had your dream day on the river, and I'm sure you've had lots of them in that country, what's the fish that you like to target? Man, I mean, it's so hard to say because there's so, you know, the scenarios on them are so different, especially, you know, my favorite fish, to be honest, to chase is probably going to be Chinook, uh, but I absolutely love fish and coho, and I, I mean... Every every guy who's you know put a fly rod in their hands that I've heard of steelhead. I mean, everyone thinks steelhead, 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 right? But uh, I personally love cold because you can get them right off the top of the water and make them chase a fly. I mean, they'll track it down and eat it. I'm um, in Chinook. I love because they're, they're you know they're the same challenge of targeting steelhead. You know, you still get the same you know cast step swing kind of thing, and it's it's hard with the fly rod. But man, once you get one on, I mean, you know the odds of catching them between 45 to you know, 60 pounds. I mean, it, it happens almost every, every week guy and someone will hook one over 50 and, you know, never, I shouldn't say never, but we rarely get them in because they're so large on a fly rod. It's always amazing to me when, you, you know, I'm used to fishing a lot of trout streams and, 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 and inland lakes. So we're catching, you know, some decent sized fish. Don't get me wrong. They might push five, yeah, six, yeah, yeah. seven pounds even. But when you start talking about like a Chinook, like you just talked about, at some point it stops becoming a fish and it's just a, it's a beast. Oh yeah, man! It is. It's crazy because you know, unlike we're in a in a river or a smaller, I should say, small river. Actually, you know, you're, even if you're getting fish, and I should say rainbows or cutthroat for that instance, uh, that are you know pushing the two and a half pound mark, you know, or three pound, you know, that twenty to twenty three inch length kind of thing. I mean, those fish on a little five weight or a six weight. I mean, they fight so hard. I mean, everyone else is like, oh my god, don't put too much pressure on them to pop the hook out, you know, or or you're, you're using such light leader and trying to drag them out of ro- uh, log structure or somewhere. You're like, oh, yeah, you're going to break it, man. When you get a 50-pounder on and you're running 25-pound test for your tippet, you're pulling so hard, but the fish is so big with all the current of the river. I mean, you still have the same odds of breaking it off as you would a little trout on three- or four-pound test. It's just amazing. Yeah, there, I, there's so there's so many opportunities surrounding all that, those salmon runs, I would imagine. So once the salmon start coming in and they start thinking about doing their thing, then, like you say, you got the the cutties and the rainbows and probably the, the bull trout are in behind them chowing down, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we, we do get some guys, you know, that want to come up and get uh, trout and stuff. I think you know, my guiding partner, Gilder, uh, a few years, I guess this would be two years ago, but he, I mean, he got a, a group actually all the way in from uh, Korea to come just to fish for trout because where they were based out of in Korea, like 
their goal was to catch the smallest trout possible. So coming up, they wanted to chase steel, but they did a lot of trout fishing. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty amazing, you know, to get in there behind, you know, 20 or 30 spawning chum salmon, or if we're lucky enough, you know, in a stream full of sockeye spawning and chase trout. I mean, dead drifting, you know, little egg patterns or abalone patterns and stuff. I mean, we do get into quite a bit of trout, but typically for us, you know, they're a bycatch. It would be kind of interesting to see if we get more anglers to come up and actually chase just trout because there is some amazing trout fishing to be had around that area. There's something exciting too, Dakota, when you've got your fly out there, you're, you're stripping it in or you're swinging it and you get that take and you're, you're not really sure what the species might be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it. I can honestly say, man, it's funny because, you know, there's certain rivers we can guide where it's the same thing as that, right? Like, you know, you never know, like the Skeena, man. I mean, dude, you could be on a run and you'd be swinging through, you know, get three or four sockeye kind of thing, you know, all of a sudden hit a little eight or 10 pound steelhead. Then all of a sudden the next cast or two casts later kind of thing, you're into a 40 or 50 pound king. I mean, it is insane. And, you know, a lot of people just, you know, they're like, get so revved up over it, <laughs> you know, like, oh my God, you know, we got all five in a day. So we call it Skeena Slam. If you can catch all species of fish in the one day. All the salmonoids plus the steelhead, I, I would call it a skinner grand slam. It doesn't happen super often, but when it does, it's pretty spectacular. I'll never forget the first first spring I got in about the 40-pound range and just snapped. I thought a firecracker went off when my leader broke. It scared the heck out of me. Yeah, well, hey, man, you're lucky the leader broke instead of the hook popping out or a heavy fly, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you guys do any, is it is it mostly moving water you're, you're hitting? You're not hitting any still water up there for the most part, are you? Uh, Guide-wise, not so much. I mean, you know, there's a time in September when all the rivers will blow out. We, you know, we get monsoons and stuff quite often throughout September. Um, and I mean, they can, you know, we can see, you know, precipitation amounts upwards in, you know, 300 to 500 millimeter mark in under a week and a half. So all the rivers are getting blown right out. I mean, there's no fish in the rivers, but if you have guests, we will do some still water fishing. There's, you know, lots of lakes up there that if they don't have streams coming in, they'll stay relatively clean or crystal clear. Um, yeah, and then we'll fish, you know, uh, trophy brook trout and rainbow trout and some lakes around there. So when when you're on the Skeena and it's, you know, tributaries, what's what's the ideal conditions for you? Is it after a light rain, so just water comes up a little bit, or what, what are you looking for? You know, in all reality, and to be 100% honest, the best time for it is, in my opinion, for catching just chrome fish. I mean, you want to, you want the first bump of water and you want to fish it while it's bumping before it gets too dirty, if that's the case. I mean, for me, I like being on a stable system. We get, let's say, let's say we get 20 millimeters of rain uh, over the course of two days. It'll bump up a good half a foot to a foot, and then the fish just pour in. Um, and then it, then the system will stay really steady fishing until it drops again and gets low and clear. Uh, that's about the best ideal conditions. You know, as a guy that's, you know, unfortunately, that's the biggest thing we can never control is the weather. All fishermen alike know that. Right after right after a bump, water's best time. So when you're, when you're targeting the bigger fish like your your salmon and, and, and even steelhead are you are you fishing a lot with spay rods or what kind of gear are you using yeah yeah i mean uh we get a lot of older clients they'll use that like to use spay gear i mean i love using the spay um and a lot of guys love coming down with the single hands the only challenge really with the single hand i mean you don't have the length to add the extra leverage when you are hooked up and for a lot of guys that don't think they tire easy because they've been fly fishing the whole life with a single hand and just a dry line the minute you add a heavy enough sink tip and a larger fly to it, I mean, your arms do get sore every day. I try to fish with the single hand as much as I can just for the thrill of it. Um, but I do prefer the spade for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people do just for the aspect when you are when you immediately pick up your line to cast at the head, you're already casting 45 feet of line. Mm-hmm. Right? Whereas the single hand, you're constantly casting and stripping, trying to work the line to get it out right in double haul or single haul. 
Sure. So I'm, I'm trying to imagine a day on the river for you. Now, are you doing a lot of walk and wait, or is it drifting to select areas? What does that look like? Well, I mean, we I got so many. We run so many different programs out of the lodge now. Uh, you know, we've kind of expanded a lot over the course of the last. Uh, well, I mean, Gill's expanded a lot over the last ten years, uh, especially the last ten. Um, you know, we do lots of walk and waiting in the fall. Certain systems we can't get boats into. Um, it, it, we do raft them if we can, but unfortunate like last year the water conditions got so low that it was impossible to wrap so you know for for a steelhead backroads tour that we do in the fall uh we'll do all you know lots of driving and hiking and wading and stuff um then for our schema stuff that we're doing throughout july august and september and sometimes through october if the run stays really steady that's all by jet boat not that you couldn't walk into a run but just to give the guests a better experience it's a lot easier to get in the boat and get away from a crowd right not that there's a lot of people but you know you come up and spend the money on a fishing trip. You want to be away from people. Um, and then in the springtime, you know, same thing, lots of drift boats, lots of rafts, lots of jet boats. Uh, we you know we do get clients that want to come up and helicopter into certain locations and stuff. So we will do that also <laughs> a little bit on the high end side, but some guys want to do that. So it sounds to me like you can basically customize whatever trip you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what we try to give the option of everyone to, you know, some people like to stay in the lodge where it's cozy and just fish in local streams because some guys only want to spend seven, six, seven hours on the water. Uh, we try to do a minimum of eight on the water every day. Um, you know, if we get some really hardcore guys, uh, you know, we will do closer to 10 hours a day on the water. And believe me, I mean, 10, you know, let's say we do five days straight. I mean, that's 50 hours of fishing in five days and I mean when you're catching so many fish that your arms ready to fall I and mean, that's a lot on a guy you might want to bring something to wrap your uh your forearms after that oh yeah man i tell everyone make sure you got tall and all with you at some point <laughs> we're chatting today with dakota mercer the head guide at the west coast fishing adventures outside of terrace british columbia uh dakota i, I always like to ask my guests on on a personal note kind of who's been the biggest influence in in your fly fishing no, it's a it's a pretty funny question because you know I, I, my dad is the one who taught me and I you know grew up learning from and stuff from time you know catching uh, you know small grayling on flies. But the man who actually really did it in for me the most is my good friend John Fortham actually. And the reason I say that he's been such a fishing inspiration to me because the guy is he's a lightning bolt on the water, for lack of a better word. I've never seen someone get out there and chuck in duck streamers all day. I mean John. John's getting closer to his fifties. And I mean, John, he keeps up with me all day, every day. I mean, some days we'd go out and do 16, 17 hours in a day. And the, the man would keep up to me regardless. I mean, he, he's a very amazing fisherman. I must say, and I've learned a lot from him actually, you know, whether it be from fly patterns, fly choice conditions, you know, John sent up on a log above me and coached me through bull trout chasing my fly that I can't see and stuff. So definitely my buddy, John, for sure. That's awesome. What was his last name? I kind of broke up on his last name. Oh, oh his last name is uh, Fordham. Fordham. Cool. Yeah. When you're on the Skeena, let's say, and let's say summer on Steelhead, what what's your go-to fly pattern? Man, you know, it's such a diverse fishery because of the water conditions, but if I had to choose one, I've done, uh, I mean, I tie lots and I've tied a variation of an old fly that Gil actually created back in the day called uh, Steely's Nightmare. And that is my favorite go-to either in black and blue or just straight pink and black or straight pink sometimes. That is that is my ultimate go-to. I tie it on a tube. It's got just enough flash to it, very low profile in the water. And it, yeah, I mean, it gets everything. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I, I always notice with Steelhead Coho, 
springs. It's always it's always black and blue, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, man. And it's very strange, you know. And I think the reason I think the reason that is, I mean, is just because of for one, the contrast of the color, and for two, it's black is the most, no matter how dirty or how clean water is, black is the only color that stands out like a sore thumb because it is black, right? doesn't mm-hmm. take in any light so as far as uv rays touching it and stuff it doesn't change color at all it just stays black and, i mean we notice that all the time you know i love fish and lamprey patterns and stuff when the water starts to get colored up um or those steely nightmares just in all black and man like that usually is my go-to just for the reason of the profile right on steely yeah. nightmares yeah so steely if, nightmares <laughs> <laughs> if you're sitting at your bench and it sounds like you do a lot of time is that is that something you do a lot of dakota yeah yeah man lots and lots i mean i I, I've never done it commercially per se. I mean, I've sold lots of them just from guests coming into the lodge wanting a couple of flies to take home or just to fill up your box if they didn't want to go in the fly shop and stuff. But yeah, no, man. I mean, I, I probably tie a good, I don't know, four or 5,000 of them a year, I'd say. What, um, what kind of vice are you tying on these days? Uh, I, I, I run a Swede Noir. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's one of my favorites, actually. And then uh, Richard Wilby that you guys had on the podcast uh, a while back uh, from Forge Fly Fishing, actually, he uh, he gave me, it's funny that Swede Noir comes with this really weird setup. It's got a dubbing post on the other side. So you just take your string, go between your vise to the post. And he gave me this old school hairline dubbing, electric dubbing twister that does the exact same thing, except it's hooked up to a battery. And that those are the two best products ever made is that Swede Noir vice, in my opinion, and that hairline Dublin old school dubbing spinner. Hmm. I like the sound of that dubbing spinner too. That's that that's interesting to me. Yeah, it's different. I don't know where he came across them or whatever. Yeah, he gave me he gave me one. I found another one somewhere down the road in Terrace in a little pawn shop. I think I got it for like forty five, fifty bucks. They just run off those little square batteries. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, they're perfect. I mean, you whip up a whole thing of whether it's in rabbit or I do a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of fox fur and stuff for my dubbing, just for my, uh, intruder flies for making balls on them for the profile heads. Um, right. and man, they work great or for, you know, spinning up a uh, huge bull trout flies and stuff. They're awesome for that. You tie a lot of bunny leeches. Um, yeah, you know, I used to tie a lot of bunny leeches, but over the course of the last, I'd say really year and a half, I've started noticing that for my older guests when I'm fishing, um you know what a mole leech is hey those great big long leeches yeah um well all the leather that's left on the actual rabbit strips um it actually gets very very heavy in the water regardless of it's on a single hand fly rod or a uh, spay rod it's actually quite heavy so i've actually been taking that back and i've actually been doing zonker uh zonker strips from squirrel hide for tails so they're super thin tails that are just going everywhere kind of like the uh, butt end of a jig to a uh, jig would be for walleye or bass and then mm-hmm. uh, i just spin the entire thing out of rabbit dubbing with uh uh rabbit crosscut sorry in a dubbing ball it works wicked have you done a lot of time this winter um actually this winter it's probably been the lightest amount i've tied to be honest uh i think i've only tied probably i want to say four or five dozen flies the whole winter to be honest yeah okay Fair enough. Been busy with some other stuff, eh? So, but yeah, usually I'm really busy. Yeah, this year with our first uh, kid and stuff coming, though, I've been just busy and preoccupied, for lack of a better word. So, what do you do for fun in the off season? Man, I fish as much as I can. <laughs> I wish I could say I was kidding, and you're probably like, "Really? You spend that many days guiding?" And all you do, seriously, I 
I mean, I probably got a good, you know, 150 days to 200 days a year. And then I probably fish an extra. Well, at least I try to get another 75 to 100 in for myself. I'm not fishing. I'm usually hanging out and playing a lot of guitar, to be honest. So right on. those are my two things. I thought you were yeah. going to say snowboarding, skiing, or something like that. But fishing. <laughs> oh, it would be really cool to say something like that. But no, the heart's set on fishing. I mean, I do quite a bit of hunting, too. But that's only last the month of November. I mean... The, my my girlfriend there kind of hates it it's funny because i leave for fishing season and i come back for hunting season so <laughs> she can't win hey uh, nope apparently not I, I told her she'll be a fishing widow <laughs> yeah fair enough hey so when you're spending all this time in the skeena region and ask hit them at all these rivers in in british columbia have you had anything yeah. weird wonderful kind of crazy happen to you in your time on the water that comes to mind Oh, man, you know, it's funny you mention that. Every single guide ha- has to, and if they don't have it yet, they will have a crazy guiding story. I can assure you, you know, clients can be very unpredictable at times. It's about the crazy thing that's happening. My very first season guide ever, I was guiding a little tributary to the Skeena for Coho. And as guides, we all try to have different names for different runs on the river, right? Or they'll just get a general name from the public, right? Like, uh, so we're going to this river and we're getting to this hole and I'm like, man, this is the only one I don't have a name for. I don't know like why I even mentioned it to him. I, he's like, well, we got to catch a big fish. Maybe we'll call it the big fish hole or something, you know? And I was like, yeah, you know, that's pretty original, but whatever. And he hadn't caught a fish. It's probably a good, I don't know, three or 400 coho jam the pool. We could watch them chasing our flies and stuff. And he just couldn't hook up. And if he did, he'd lose it. Well, about 15, 20 minutes into it, Larry, Captain Snook is what I nicknamed him, but he casts out anyways picks onto this monster coat. I mean, it's probably, I don't know, all of 25 or 26 pounds. And he didn't realize how big it was. So it jumped out of the water in front of him. And he just looked at me with this awestruck face. And I, you know, at first I was looking at him because I was like, you know, this awestruck face is from this, just this ginormic fish. And then I, I don't know how to explain it. Just all of a sudden smelt like, like the hell. And then I realized at that moment, Larry, Got so excited. I mean, he was all of probably 74, 75 years old. He got so excited. That. His pants. And I nicknamed that run. That. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, man. I, you think Larry's listening today? <laughs> <laughs> well, he might be. I mean, he lives in Florida, but he listens to a lot of podcasts. He won't be offended, will he? Oh, no, not the slightest. No, he knows that's the name of the run. I told him that that day, and he kind of gave me a really great piece of advice that day. So when you, after you, after you hit seven, he said, nah, trust a fart. <laughs> <laughs> that's classic. Oh, right? Oh, that's funny. Couldn't even make it up, dude. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? And that's usually the stories that I, I've heard some that I haven't put on air because they were just too crazy. And I'm just like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to keep it not X-rated, if, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Because I know we got a lot of younger listeners, too. So, um, yeah, but yeah, it's uh, it's crazy, the stuff that happens to us out there. Oh, man. Do you know what? I'm curious. I'm curious, Dakota, if I also like to ask this question. It's a bit of a, a bit of an odd one. But if you could change something about the pastime of fly fishing what would you change about it man if i had one thing to change in fly fishing the only thing i can honestly think of that i would change would be people have got so i don't know dead set in their ways not wanting to adapt i'm not sure but you know you'll get guys on the coast you're like oh my god you fish sink tips or you'll get other guys that are 
you know, all besides himself because someone does not fish dry flies. You have other guys tell you they're not allowed fishing with indicators. I mean, are you kidding? Like, you know, in especially in the interior lakes and stuff, when you're indicator fishing with chronomids and sometimes you're down 15 feet, there's no way you're going to sit there and tell me you're going to dead um, uh, indicator indicatorless fish a chronomid below the surface at 15 or 16 feet. You need the indicator. Just it, so I, if I could change anything, it would be uh, you know a lot of the. Um, I don't know what the terminology I would use for them, but just their view on it. Yeah, I know it's like there's almost like there's camps, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I I agree with you. Like I really couldn't care less for some. Now, if you're fishing competitively, I know that indicators aren't allowed. You know, like yes, the world course, fly yeah. fishing. That, that, that's a whole other whole other that's ball a whole of wax. level. That's a different level of fishing altogether, though. If you take yeah. it to a professional actual sport, right? Yeah, but I honestly, indicator fishing is something I came to, I don't know, maybe 20, 15 years ago, say, and yeah. it totally changed everything for me. And like, because especially something you just mentioned, chronomids, you're fishing something vertically. It's hard to get that unless you're fishing straight down from your boat, like deep lining a, a deep, deep line. But it's, yeah. for me, I, I don't really care what it takes to get them to bite. Yeah. I mean, short of, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to be putting uh you know lures on too often i'm I'm talking fly fishing in general in generalities yeah. no no yeah yeah no you're you're saying you're the type of guy that would go out and he'd fish indicators on stream if you wanted to or he'd fish or you know some guys get really mad that a lot of guys uh fish really really small stone flies and stuff and it's like why wouldn't you i mean if you're not you know like there's that aspect in pairs too you know where guys will be out there and they're flossing is what it's called the terminology is flossing for it because you're mm -hmm. putting the line through a fish's mouth technically and hooking them on the outside i mean for sockeye that's the only way you get them they don't actually take and if they do it's very very rare i mean they eat on they feed on krill in the ocean so there's nothing in the rivers that is going to imitate a krill that they're going to actually go to their way to eat i mean salmon's all aggression right it's just something their face or eating it sock on their hand they don't do that right so no man i totally understand where you're coming from and that's the only thing you know i got i can really wish to change in my opinion you know yeah. especially on the social media and you notice it a lot yeah no i uh, yeah i hear you there i mean i've done my share of hardware fishing for salmon in bigger rivers yeah. and and you're right you feel that bump 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 it's almost like it's just running yeah, you're yeah. running through schools of fish right yeah, and that's essentially exactly that is exactly what you are doing though, right? Yeah. Is you are running it through schools of fish. That's the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For that style of fishing. Is there anything we haven't talked about that um, you'd like to cover tonight? Man, I think the only thing I would really like to cover would be the different styles, the different timings of steelhead i would say man because the big thing a lot of people get stuck on is that there's just a fall run on certain rivers it's just a spring run whereas you know there's quite a few systems that actually get a spring a true summer run a fall run and a winter run hmm. right so there's a run that'll actually come in into the river you know in march or april and then those ones are actually spawning with with the year previous to its uh fall run fish and winter fish um and then you get that after that all those spawn together then you get your true summer runs which are i mean the only reason i think we consider them summer run fish in terrace is because they're actually running all the way up to the famous babine kispiox sustad i mean they got a journey to go on right? right i mean they're taking almost a month to get to their home waters um i mean all those fish that go up you know they're going to sit there and stage in either the rivers feeding on salmon eggs and stuff or going into the lakes to winter if they're you know a, a lake fed stream and then they'll actually go out of the lake in the, in the spring of the year once it unices and go back into the river to spawn with whatever spring and or winter fish have entered the system. Mm -hmm. 
So it's very interesting. I, I didn't realize that, and and I would, I often think like the closer you are to the ocean, kind of the more that probably is true because they're not running as far and they're coming through at different. No, exactly. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. You know, you'll get a certain that uh dump right into. Right, like south of Terrace there, you know, there's like uh, there's a bunch of little small tributaries to the skin, and those ones that are basically Terrace or I would say Copper River down, um, they all, or Zimacord, sorry, for those guys who want to get fancy terms, um, <laughs> those uh, those fish are actually all going to be spring-run fish besides the Calum River, and the reason being the streams are so small and they're so um, unpredictable when it comes to, you know, rain periods and et cetera that those fish actually only come in in the spring or there for the month they spawn and then they're gone. Hmm. Not like the fall fish that'll come in in the fall, stay the whole, they'll overwinter. Um, and then spring with spawn with the spring steel that come into the system mixed in. It's, it's really strange, but it's very interesting. If you could sit back, uh, you got your feet up the vice in front of you and you're thinking about your perfect day from the past year on, on a river system in your guiding area. Maybe describe that to our listeners a little bit. What does that look like? Man, it's pretty, you know, the way I, the way I kind of run it, you know, cause I'll get guys come up and fly fish. I'll get gear guys too, but especially fly fishermen. It's funny. I can, I'll be sitting down on the, on the bank. I'll, you know, I'll have a fire going. I'll be watching the boys fish through the run. Cause not everyone needs a guy tripping in the ear of what to do. Right. I help them as much as I can, but once they get it, I sit back and I just watch and I'll sit there and I'll, you know, have a bite to eat and crack a beer. And then all of a sudden someone will shout and scream fish on i'll watch a steelhead barrel out of the water then i get my net i try to go and dip their fish or sometimes while they're fighting a fish i'll hear another guy down river that's one of my guests scream fish on then it's hectic <laughs> <laughs> running back and forth between people hooking fish i mean during salmon season man that is guaranteed to happen. I don't know how many times I've had triple headers or quadruple headers, depending on the amount of guests I've had. It is insane. That's awesome. You don't hear yeah. that all the time. Like, I mean, it's, no. it's, I know what you're saying though. I mean, and that is such a productive river system. You, you got to know how fortunate you are to guide on it. Yes. Thank you, sir. You know, after, you know, being down here in Vancouver for so long, you know, I've fished uh, the better and I fished the Chilliwack and I fished the Squamish and the Mam Clam and stuff. You know, it's pretty amazing to, see the for one the volume of people on the systems here for the small amount of fish in the streams you know that's something i'll never get over i mean honestly on on this on the vetter river i must have seen i'm not even gonna make a word of a lot of this at least 100 vehicles and i don't know how many people fishing i must have seen 150 people fishing in about 12 kilometers river it was insane yeah we used to fish that uh kind of hatchery run on the Chehalis. And it was, Chehalis, yeah. It was the same. It was like, Oh yeah. I've heard, I've heard so many stories about that. You know, like I, I wanted to go fish the Capilano river there and stuff because Roger Keg Brown, you know, wrote about it back in the day and stuff. And just to see, you know, cause it's part of fly fishing history, especially for steelhead. Mm-hmm. It was amazing to be on the system and see it all, you know, and see the hatchery with all the fish in the dam and stuff. I mean, it was insane. But that Squamish, you know, having that big, crazy disaster, I mean, that blows my mind. No one's on the Squamish hardly anymore. I mean, every time I've, I've drove by it or been around it or on the river, I haven't seen a soul. Hmm. That's interesting because, I mean, let's face it, the fishing, as good as the fishing is, no matter where you are, if it's overly crowded, it takes something away from it, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely agree with you on that, man. I mean, sure, if... If you're, if you're, if you know, and I say this to my guests all the time, you know, even if you're into fish all day long, 
and but there's a hundred people around you i mean really at the end of the day is it worth it i don't think so i'd rather be up somewhere not maybe not catching as many fish or higher quality fish whatever you want to call it but to be somewhere where i'm surrounded by mountains and scenery and goats and eagles and stuff and i don't see a soul and if i do it's just another guide passing by going somewhere else right that's what i love about river fishing though if you're if you're fortunate enough to be in a boat you can cover some ground and find some open water pretty much anywhere can't you yeah yeah that's it right with the boat i mean that's one thing i tell everyone you know a lot of guys get real scared about you know running jet boats or being with someone runs jet boat that doesn't know what they're doing but man once they get that part down past it, it opens up the whole rivers to so much more. I mean, you now have access top to bottom of the whole system and getting away from the crowds, right? Yeah, that's key for sure. Oh man, it's beautiful. So if somebody wants to book a trip with West Coast Fishing Adventures and, and maybe get uh, yeah. get yourself out there as guide, how do they, like, first off, where are they headed to? Are they flying into Terrace or what's, what's the best route? If you drive from California, it's almost 28 hours to drive. So I recommend everyone you just... Fly in from anywhere in Canada. You can, you know, go to the Vancouver airport and you'll jump on a little charter plane that takes you to Terrace. And me and Mandy or Gil will pick someone up for the airport and you're at our lodge. It's much easier that way. <laughs> What's the name of the lodge? Uh, West Coast Fishing Adventures is the name of our outfit. And uh, we don't actually have a lodge name. We just call it the lodge. <laughs> What's the accommodation like there? Is it is it rustic, but 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 nice? Oh, it's, you know what? It's, it's yeah, I'd say it's more on the rustic decor end of the spectrum. But yeah, it's beautiful. You know, like we got, we try to share because a lot of guys coming, you know, book with a bucky to come. So we got in our addiction area, we have two beds per room down there. They're both, uh, I believe they're queen size or king size beds in each room. Um, so we'll have you know, uh, then just the first layer will be an area for four guys to stay, you know, share in a room. But a lot of guys are booking with their buddies, so they don't mind that. And if you go downstairs, we have what we call the moose room, or I call it the hot room. Um, that one has got one big bed in it for either a single guy or a guy and a wife. Then we got another bed down there also. So, you know, we can usually host six guys. Um, and then, you know, we got a beautiful, I mean, man, the fly tying bench in there is amazing. Like you walk out to what we call the steelhead or cigar lounge and, man like we got a huge steelhead on the wall it's a local one that we caught in the spring that's got to be all of i don't know i'm going to say all 27 28 pounds mounted on the wall you know just a replica mount a huge fly tying bench you know we let lots of guests sit down and either teach them how to tie flies or me and giller sitting down tying flies if there's one pattern working really well it's it's amazing we're on about i want to say we're on i believe it's almost 30 acres give or take so there's lots of space to go and do walks on trails and stuff it's it's very nice where do you go in terrace to talk fishing man we got you know i mean obviously the lodge gets a lot of talk just from clients and stuff coming in lots of great local pubs and, and bars there's a wake nice brewery there in town mm-hmm. um i think the number one place a lot of guys can get there and talk fish and i mean it happens literally every day is the fly shop you know someone recognizes you as a guide from either a television show or you know for me personally you know it's mostly my instagram you know you just bump into random people and yeah man the fly shops always are talking fish i mean that's what they're there for sell gear be great guys and you know what like i can't even count off the top of my head how many times i went in there stayed in there past six which is closing time for a uh, little fishtails fly shop there in terrace and been in the parking lot all of us stand around having coffees and bs until 10 10 30 at night i mean happens that's all awesome. the time <laughs> love it Hey, so we've been yeah. chatting today with Dakota Mercer. Dakota is the head guide at West Coast Fishing Adventures in Terrace, British Columbia. They're targeting those steelhead salmon and trout, 
bull trout, you name it, they got it. And I just want to say thanks a lot for taking the time tonight, Dakota. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you kindly for having me on the show. It was a pleasure, sir. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Thank you.